Christ our God who was transfigured on the mountain and manifested your glory to your disciples as they were able to bear it. Now shed your everlasting light on us, your servants, that we may behold your glory, enter into your sufferings, and proclaim you to the world, you who gives light in darkness and are yourself the light of men. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So that's a, that's a pretty basic Hebrew prayer, and we'll be going there in just a moment. Um, there's always the presumption that if God speaks, we listen. And that was the sermon for today. For a Hebrew, listen means, it doesn't just mean open your ears, it means your whole body is consumed by what happens to you. So um, I'll start, there you go, don't worry, don't duck, we've, well, we're not even going yet. We'll start, uh, check your name off if you would. I think the money goes to Westfield House in England. They're building an addition on the seminary there. Um, they've talked to us about having a, uh, bringing a work party over. We've done that a couple of times. So they're talking again about would St. John put people together to come over and help. So if anybody wants to go to England and spend a week working, that would be um, you know, something we could try to pull off again if we wanted. You should have in your hands about five things um, there's the thing I handed out last week. Does anybody need that? The outline from last week says, on the top it says number 10. It doesn't say number 10 appendix. Does anybody need that, though? I didn't expect that you'd bring it back. All right, I'll send it around. Thank you very much. And then um, you should also have in your hands um, how a Christian should be taught to confess. Have you got that? Everybody got that? So there's one like that. And then there's also one, the table of duties. Hey, Dave, can you help me with this while you're up? So if you need the table of duties, Mr. Woolrab will have those. And then I also wrote you uh, just a little appendix for today. Does anybody need that? That's the one you're most likely to have. I think Phil had that at the beginning. Does anybody still need that, the new one? It says appendix on the top. So, you know, whenever I don't get through, then I always go back and try to remember what the questions were, and your stuff comes um, through the week. So here you go. Practical mercies, how Jesus engages the world and us uh, 10A, the appendix. So it says 10A. Does anybody need that? I'll happily give it to you if you do. So um, the very first question that comes to me after last week's Bible study was, hey, it was going so well. What happened? Which is always, you know, gives you pause. Uh, you know, all that practical stuff, like the circle of rage and the circle of redemption and the point of restitution, you know, what happened to all that? It was so practical, you know, because you felt it. I, evil comes to me, I get angry, I have a choice between justice and mercy. It's the opportunity to grow. I can have hope. Um, and then what that looks like actually is to confess, be forgiven, and then do my best to make restitution as I'm able. Someday we're going to come all the way back to that, what restitution means. Uh, so my, my answer to that would be in the gospel reading for today and then also in the prayer you just heard, which is for a Hebrew, you know, and they were, they were Jews. I mean, on transfiguration, what is the single thing? God could say anything he wants to them. What does he say? He says, this is my son. Listen to him. And for a Jew, to listen was to do. There wasn't any of the separation between, you know, mind and heart. In fact, when the Lord really wants to criticize uh, in the Old Testament, he says, hey, your lips are flapping, but your hearts are far away from me. 
So, so this is the most practical of all things. To listen, to hear, is to let it have its way with you. So in creation, God speaks and creation listens. It gets ordered. Um, Jesus speaks and the leper hears him and he gets healed. Jesus speaks and, the, and Lazarus comes out. You know, Lazarus doesn't hear him and then just, just lie there. Lazarus hears him and comes out of the tomb. So listening always presumes that the words that are spoken will have their way with you. He doesn't force you, but he takes this great gift and he lays it right into your arms and says, wouldn't you please? And that, of course, is how the Ten Words come to you, the Ten Commandments. Jesus says to you, this is the way to live life. You know, pay attention to these ten things. And better than that, I'm giving them to you. And you can say, thank you very much. I'll be happy with the God I've got. Um, I'll praise his name and be in church every Sunday. And I won't lie or cheat or steal or covet. And I'll be happy with the spouse and family I've been given. You can say that, which would be to listen. Or you can say something else. And of course, you know that our life is a push and a pull between those two things. We have better and worse days. There are some days when we do, in fact, listen well. And in those cases, in our own lives, we flourish and our church flourishes. And then there's times when we don't listen. When we don't listen, our own lives go to chaos and our life together is shattered as a community. So it's, and it's very interesting. Next week, the Old Testament lesson is that great Old Testament lesson where he says, I'm about to take you into the promised land. When you get there, don't say, wow, it's because we were really good. We were really smart. We were really fast. We were really intelligent. He says, no, when you get there, remember that this is all gift. I was the one who brought you out. I was the one who gave the gifts. And now I tell you how to live, which is um, a peculiar um, sin for us. We have to always remember that we're dependent. So I'm going to argue a little bit that this is the most practical thing of all. Now, if it didn't ring with you, let me put it as crisply as I can. I'm on the appendix at point number three. This was the very short summary of last week. Christ is love, and love is obedience. And you don't have to guess about obedience. You know what obedience is in the Ten Words, in the Ten Commandments. You okay with that? Everybody okay with that? That'll be very important going forward. So I just give you one of the verses. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus says. So Jesus equates loving with doing his commandments. If you do the commandments, you love him. If you don't do his commandments, you hate him. Extraordinarily important to make it that clear. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, you should hear that, I hope, as a good thing. I hope what you're saying is, what are those commandments? I would love to keep them. You know, thank you very much. Because you want me to live in the promised land. You want me to be well fed. You want me to be well cared for. You want my family to be strong. You want my church to be um, uh, one community. You, you want me to always speak the truth. You want me to be kind. Thank you very much. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So um, part of the problem is, is people have all sorts of definitions of what love is, but they're not very good. Love means you give me what I want, or um, you meet my needs, or you make me feel good. Um, you can feel good in all sorts of illicit ways. Um, if you talk to a heroin addict, most of the time, they're feeling good. 
the in-between times aren't so good. But So love isn't just feeling good. Love is listening and doing as you're told. Which is, you know, and the only way you can rebel against that is if you think somehow that you're God at point number one and God's at point number two. All Jesus is asking you to do is to have the Father at point number one and you at point number two. All he's asking you to do is tend the order of creation. There's a creator and you're created. He's number one, you're number two. Whenever that gets inverted, the order is shattered, the world is turned upside down, Satan is turned loose, sin is everywhere, and there's no authority. The opposite of authority is chaos. Okay? So when he says, listen, he's actually giving you a great kindness. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, number four, oh, this is on the appendix. So how is knowing the ten words practical? Or, and this is where we're going, why is making a good confession? And again, I'm saying to you, I'm not talking about you coming to me for private confession. I'm talking about that moment of silence at the beginning of the service. I'm talking about when you go to bed tonight and pray the Our Father, you'll say, forgive us our trespasses. I'm talking about that moment. Pause a moment there and think about what it is to confess. Um, what's making a good confession? So here's a couple of possibilities. The main issue is authority. Now you can either hear authority as a good word or a bad word. If you've ever been any place, if you've traveled widely, if you've ever traveled in a country where the authority was sketchy, um, you come to appreciate authority. You'd appreciate authority right now in Haiti. Um, there, are, there are lots of places where you'd appreciate authority. Um, so authority is actually a good thing. The main issue is authority. It can be a law or a gospel word depending on whether you despise or welcome. And now I steal this um, quote uh, via Gainig, via Richard John Newhouse, where submitting yourself, where uh, do you welcome submitting yourself to one greater than yourself? Is that his definition of obedience? That's his definition of authority. This is Newhouse's definition, so I don't want to steal it. Authority would be when you submit yourself to one who is greater than yourself, which basically is to say to know that you're not God. So authority just means you recognize the order of the cosmos. God's at point number one, you're at point number two, and that you have a gracious yearning for the Lord above you. And you come to understand Jesus' way of doing things as the best possible thing. The next thing is, is um, if we don't know how to confess, you can't actually use those other things that we've been doing. Because that circle of rage and the circle of redemption, and then the point of restitution. If you don't know how to confess, you don't know what to do. You don't, you don't know wrong from right, um, and you don't know how to restore things from being wrong to being right. So the Ten Commandments are the most practical thing. Flip your page. And this may be the most important thing for you, and this is, um, you know, we're still working at this at St. John. Um, you know, we sort of had, you know, we had some, you know, we had a little bit of a dust up there. Um, you know, there are some people who went sort of nose to nose, but there were also people, you know, and sometimes it's us, who just are so tired of it that we just want it all to go away. Here's the bad news. If we don't confess our sins, they don't go away. In the church, 
time heals is not true. And even the AOR guy said this. They said if people just go to another church without sins confessed, it's just going to blow up again in another place. Okay? And you can kind of trace the history of St. John that way. About every 12 years, there's been a blow-up here. Why is that? The same kind of blow-up each time. Why is that? You know, I don't know, but I can tell you how to avoid it 12 years from now, which is we all confess because time does not heal. Sins do not go away. They just they last forever. They don't go away unless they're confessed. When they're confessed, it's the coolest thing. They're just shattered. They just go to ashes. It's like the wind blows them away. So um, if we don't confess our sins, they don't go away. You can stuff it. You can ignore it. You can scream it. You can gossip it. You can try to forget about it. You can pretend it never happened. You can think about it every day. Do you wake up every day mad at somebody? You know? Try what you will, but time does not heal. Only Christ heals but he will only heal what's confessed, and he won't force you to be forgiven or be saved. Karen, I can always count on you for insight. Go. Um, so the question is, or the comment is, maybe we've done a little bit too much gospel and not quite enough law. Um, I've been musing about that myself. That was um, one of the bishop's comments, actually. Um, that perhaps a bit more law needed to be spoken. Um, and we should be a little more protective, for example, of who comes to the Eucharist if um, people really do have issues between them. And he was actually, even at the pastor's conference, quick to quote our confessions where it says, the law is preached to Christians also. There's a word for this, antinomian, which is um, against the law. So there was a, there's a heresy in the church called antinomianism, which is Christians don't need the law. But the point that you bring up is because we're always still sinners, even while we're saints, we need a proper dose of the law and a proper dose of the gospel. So what we're going to do now, just a minute, we're going to do this in a very practical way. We're going to engage that. Um, the problem is, is it's so difficult to do it. It's a little like preaching. When you preach, you know, you got kids who are three years old and you got people who are 90 years old and you got sort of new Christians and you got old Christians and you have about 10 minutes to try to say everything and touch each one of them. So it's, a, it's a, almost always a loser's game. In the same way, talking about confession to a group is almost always a loser's game because you're all at different places. And sometimes, for you who are very fragile right now, a single word of law can shatter you. And for you who are very hard-hearted, um, you probably need a pounding maybe more than I'm willing to give. But it's very difficult to give that with 100 or 150 people in a room because what inevitably happens is there's some people who think you're always talking, the hard-hearted people think you're talking about that guy, look at the person next to you, but I'm talking about them. And the soft-hearted people think every word is directed at them and can just be utterly crushed by it. So I'm going to try now, I'm going to try to do this in a gentle way and try to have you be self-reflective. Okay, that's where we're going to go next, Karen, because I can't do pastoral care in a, in a group, but I will try to guide you to how pastoral care can be done. Yes, please. Right. Right. 
Right. So, so the point is, if you didn't hear that, was that um, when you stuff things down or just ignore them, they don't just come back at equal force, they come back at a greater force. And they do much more damage, which in fact is true. Jesus does say that about, remember he told the story of this woman who had a demon. The demon was cast out, but she didn't fill the void. So the demon goes and gets all these demon buddies, and they come back, and she's worse than ever because now she's got an apartment house, you know, in her soul. It's horrible. So um, we do need to do this, and, and maybe we haven't done... And, you know, honestly, I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. I mean, maybe I didn't press this hard enough. Um, maybe you don't want to hear it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, I honestly don't know. Uh, well, but so let's have a run at it and see if we can get it right Pastor, this I time. I didn't, I didn't take it. I honestly didn't. T- thank you very much for saying that. I actually didn't take it as a criticism. It's a very, I'm, the emotion is kind of wrung out of this by now for me, Karen. So this is almost clinical in terms of, you know what? It's kind of like, hey, uh, you know, it's like we turned right and we should have turned left. Okay, well, we should turn left and make it right, if that makes any sense. Was there another question right here someplace? I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of if you want your life cleaned up, this is what you do. So given that, this is one more bullet point, given that as we go through life, instead of asking, what's the bare minimum to be saved? And I, I really feel like we need to constantly move people off the question. Pastor Ganning and I both gave papers at the pastor's conference this week. This was a big part of what we talked about. The congregations need to be moved off. Individuals need to be moved off the notion of, I just want to get out of hell. See, in some ways as a pastor, it's almost impossible for me to understand that people don't come to church. I mean, I just can't understand it. In fact, one of the very strong lectures, and we talk about this sometime, one of the very strong lectures that was given at this conference was pastors waste their time by chasing Christians. It was a very provocative lecture, but the basis, the basis was once you're baptized and you're in the church, I mean, the, the argument was this notion that it's my job to chase you if you don't come to church, or that we should take attendance, and if you don't come to church for a month, the elders need to call you and see you, which normally gives people, well, the best answer we ever had was once somebody said, you haven't been in church for four weeks, this is a true story here at St. John, which I have ultimate respect for this person now. I said, man, you haven't been here for about eight weeks, what's the deal? The person said, I'm just lazy. I like lying on my couch with the remote. And I like sleeping in on Sunday morning. So you're right, I probably should come to church. I'm like, that's a great, that's a great thing. What we often find, though, is people not coming to church is kind of a passive-aggressive thing, which is um, they stop coming to church because they know eventually the pressure will build so that the pastor and elders will call them. Then when they call, they can start screaming and really get their licks in, which is just more of the same, you see. So there was a real question. I mean, it was a kind of a lively debate about whether it's a pastor's job. Doubtless you will quote to me, parable of the lost sheep. I know that parable. I also know that Jesus um, gives people a specified time to get in line, and if they don't, he disappears over the horizon. And at the end of the day, you know, it was the famous um, quote, you know, you're responsible to say your own prayers and love your own wife and tend your own, tend your own church. You know, I can't do that for you. So it's, it's a live question to discuss sometimes. It's, I'm not responsible for you coming to church. Even if, I'm a, even if I'm the devil himself, you should still be at the Eucharist. Um, because that's what Christ says in the third commandment. That's under listen and obey. Right? But we don't think that way because we live in a culture where we expect to be pleased. Um, 
The real question is, how do you please Christ? The question isn't, how does Christ please you? Or even, how do I please you? The question is, how do you please Christ? The answer is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If you come to church, you say, that's right. Um, and if you don't come, then you know, that weighs heavy on you. And you remember in Jeremiah, um, it'll come up as one of the texts, I think, in Lent is an Old Testament, where the Lord says to Jeremiah the prophet, if you, tell the, if you don't tell the people, so he says this to a pastor, if you don't tell the people, all the sins of the people will be on you. It is a horrible kind of death, both here on earth and then later. If you don't tell the people, all the sins of the people will be on you. But if you tell the people, even if they ignore you, then all the sins remain on them. So that's kind of the position I'm in. So it's my job to say it, you know, even maybe if you don't want to hear it. But what I'm hoping is you do want to hear it because it actually is the ultimate act of love. And as Karen kind of worked around before, it's, it's an act of love to, hear, to, to put the law to people. That behavior is going to kill you. You know, if you keep doing that, you'll die. That's an act of love, just the way it's an act of love to say to your kids, you know, don't get so close to the edge, you'll fall over. That's an act of love, even though it's the law. And it's also an act of love to say to people, you know, all's forgiven, let's move on. And maybe it is. Maybe it is that um, we haven't done a very good job of confessing, so we haven't done a good job of forgiving, so we haven't done a good job of moving on. But you know what? Get a fresh start today. So let's have it go. Um, instead of confessing just for the sake of scooting through, right, just as I'm kind of at that little round bullet, consider what it means to confess for the sake of healing, for having the very best thing available to us, confessing for a healthy life, physically, mentally, spiritual. I don't know if you know, actually I, know, I do know that you know because I've talked to enough of you. All of what's happened in the last year or two has hurt people not just spiritually, it's hurt them physically and emotionally. You know, when you carry sin around, it destroys you, you're one, you're one mom, and it destroys you in all sorts of ways. You know, physically people get sick, mentally people get sick, spiritually people get sick. So we've got to sweep that out now. That's, and then the way that that's done is through confession. Um, for having Christ put directly onto me again for growth, for eliminating secrets. Um, secrets are always, if you do the most basic kind of counseling, what people almost always, what therapists almost always try to get at first is if there are secrets. Um, what are the things that nobody will talk about? And often those are deadly sort of things, right? deadly patterns or, or deadly kind of abuses, for building community, for openness, for calm, for kindness, for love, salvation. What you all need to do is accept me as a forgiven sinner, a confessing forgiven sinner, and what I need to do for you is to accept all of you as a confessing forgiving sinner. If you leave me in either position, or if I put you in, if I either expect perfection of you, or I refuse to forgive you, or if you expect perfection of me, or refuse to forgive me, will always be broken. So I want to be a confessing, forgiven sinner, and I want each one of you to be a confessing, forgiven sinner. Right? So this is, this is great. This is what the Lord wants to do. Um, and then I just give you this. Um, so you can tuck it away in a positive note. I was trying to think about, you know, how it's so difficult to talk about law and gospel because people get it confused so easily, but try this. Christ keeps the law, 
so I don't have to. So in one sense, I'm free of it, but I get to. Best I can is love and joy. So I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to tell the truth. I want to be happy with the life that the Lord has given me. You know, I want to be in church on Sunday. And most of all, I want God as the one who is greater than myself. That's a blessing and a gift. Um, try this, number six. I can't do it, but Christ does it, and then he enables me to do it. See? All the talk about strengthening and enabling, he does it perfectly, and then he's trying to get you to catch up and play along, and where you don't quite get it right, he forgives that. And Or this. You have to remember, I sin with every good work. Every good thing you've ever done, that big box of chocolates, the flowers, the card you brought for your wife, yeah, it's still sinful in some sense. It needs to be forgiven. Every good work needs to be forgiven. I can't do anything perfect. Or it's not a good work until it's a forgiven work. I started with this with you 13 years ago, just about the very first thing I said to you. Or a forgiven work is a good work, or I'm meant for a life of good work. Okay? So the question is how to get there. The question is how to make the Ten Commandments our friend and how to understand that their love for us both when they convict us and when they show us new life. Okay, so it has a double use. The Ten Commandments convict us, law, but it also shows us what God wants. Because the Ten Commandments, this is the, the, re, the Ten Commandments are like God looking in a mirror. The Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. Who is the Holy Trinity? The Holy Trinity is the one that's perfectly ordered, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, first commandment. The Holy Trinity is the one who love each other as they name each other, second commandment. The Holy Trinity is one that is always in perfect fidelity, third commandment. The Holy Trinity is always full, always truthful, always life, you know, always love. Those are the rest of the commandments. So what's happening in the Ten Commandments is God is telling you what happens inside the Holy Trinity. And he's saying, we three persons live this way, and we want you, our created persons, to live this way too. And that then will let us all live together again in Eden. You got it? So the Ten Commandments, while they do convict you sometimes, they remain holy, and they are, in fact, your friend. If you're doing a horrible thing and nobody ever tells you, that person hates you. He doesn't love you. You love somebody when you're able to say a hard but calm word to them. That's going to kill you. That's how you love people. It's what you do for your, your spouse. It's what you do for your um, kids. It's, it should be what you do for your friends. And especially in the church. The church should be the one place where we can be honest, where we can confess, where we can be forgiven, and where we can live again. Yes, Don? That's right. So yeah. confession. That's right. In, 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 in what, what the point you just made is to say that the confession and expression of our faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's right. It leads us into it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so somehow. Uh, yeah, well, and so everything is connected to everything else. So we do have to kind of get this right. Pick up your um, table of duties, okay? So I'm going to go... Um, 
as gently, and I'll, you know, I'll go here first, you know. So just, just on the first part. Um, so do you have table? Anybody need this? The second street table to do this right out of the catechism. Anybody need this? You got plenty? You okay? All right, we can get you one, Betty. Anybody else need that? There you go. So he starts with bishops, pastors, and preachers. Um, so right there in the catechism, you got a bishop. Hmm, Gainig, I'll talk to you about that later. Okay, so. Um, now, you can hear this in the law way, or you can hear this in the gospel way. Here we go. The pastor, the overseer. Now, already you have an authority structure there because you have people who are overseeing. There's an overseer and people who are overseeing. The overseer must be above reproach, though apparently no one can ever, uh, well, no, I could never do anything, well, without fault. That's frightening. The husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable. My guess is you all have different definitions of what temperate is, depending on where you um, live. Uh, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own family well, see that his children obey him with proper respect. Holy cow, not a recent convert, <laughs> um, not become conceited, uh, not fall under the judgment of the devil, turn the page, hold firmly to the trustworthy m messages then taught, encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Okay, so what's your first reaction to that? Besides lying awake at night. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly, nobody qualifies. That's real honestly. It's actually what I have written up here. There are no pastors. There's nobody fit, right? Nobody qualifies. It's one way to read the text. You know how to get a perfect pastor, right? I mean, when we're gone, I'm going to tell you how to get a perfect pastor next time around. You start with a perfect congregation. Yes? Then you have yourselves a perfect call meeting, and then from the perfect list, you select the perfect candidate. Um, which, you know, heck, if then we're all dead. Um, Want to do you? <laughs> just, just for fun? What the hearers, oh, their pastors, keep going. The Lord's commanded, I was fascinated by this, that they talk about money four times in a row. I don't know why that would be, but the Lord's commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share good things with the instructor. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked, which means you can't hide it. You reap what you sow. Ouch. The elders, presbyteros, which is the word that we normally translate as pastor, who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of a double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. The scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. So we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are, and then there it is, over you in the Lord, um, who admonish you. So part of my job is supposed to be telling you when you're wrong. Um, hold them in the highest regard in love for their work. Live in peace with each other. Obey your leaders. Submit to them and to their authority. They must keep watch over you as men who must give an account. That is a horribly difficult statement for pastors that I have to give an account for each one of you. There'll be two doors into heaven. There'll be your line and the pastor's line. Um, at your line, you'll only have to give an account for yourself. 
and your children, fourth commandment. I'll have to give an account for myself, my children, and everybody who's ever been a member of my church where I serve. That's going to be a long, long stay, you know? Obey them so that their work will be joy, not a burden. That wouldn't be any advantage to you if your pastor's always cranky, you know? So, I mean, here's the thing. It's the same for you. So, basically, what have we learned this morning in Bible study? Nobody's fit to be a pastor, and nobody's fit to be a parishioner. Yeah. Happy church. (laughs) Have a nice day. All right, now you can take it utterly in the way of the law, and you can say, there's, we're, I mean, we're all finished, right? I mean, that's one way to read it. But the other way is um, to say, well, um, I can be forgiven, and you can be forgiven, and so the best thing that would be, to, the best thing that could happen would be, for example, to meet every week, and I'd say to you, I'm really sorry for the places I've let you down as pastor. And you would say to me, I'm really sorry for where I let you down as parishioner. And then I'd say, um, I forgive you. Christ forgives you. And you'd say to me, Christ forgives you too. Um, let's move on and see now how close we can get to the Trinitarian life. Which would be to hear listen and obey in a gospel way. Does this make sense to you? Yes, please. Sure. Um, the goal of Buddha would be to see and live according to the truth of God. Right. Our sin, partly because we have, in our sinful nature, we have to defend those sins. We try so hard doing that right. that we cannot see the truth. Well said. Um, so it's very helpful. So um, what will happen, as soon as you read this, you normally have two reactions, which is, that's not me. I never did that. I'm completely temperate. Um, or I can teach, you just can't pay attention, or something like that, right? So one is one response is um, to defend yourself. Must be you, it's not me. Um, if you've ever been married for more than four minutes, you know that doesn't work very well. Uh, the, the best way to keep an argument going is to say, it's not me, it's you. Or some variation of that for Valentine's Day. Um, you know. And so, so partly what we have to do, but I just press you a little bit now. In order for you to not defend your sins, I'll just take with your wife, because I think, you know, I know enough about you that I think I can ask you this without embarrassing you. No, I do. I know you well enough, and How does your wife provide the possibility for you to confess? Maybe that's not a good question. Why in the world would you ever stop defending yourself? If your wife says to you, Dave, come on now. There's two possibilities. One, you could say, that's not me. Or you could say, I'm really sorry. Why would you choose to say instead, I'm really sorry? I'm just asking. 
Exactly. She loves you and she makes a safe space for you to actually be wrong. Yeah. Here's the thing, Karen, if you, <laughs> if you, if you want to go any farther, Karen, there's going to be an extra charge, okay? <laughs> so that's all we're going to do right now. Yes, right. Yes, right. 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 So, so part of being a community, part of being a church, part of being in a marriage, part of being um, even having a relationship with God is to know that when God seeks you to have you confess, his intent is not to destroy you. This is horribly important. When God comes in Christ, wrath is not his, wrath is not his objective. When God comes in Christ, to the worst of sinners, to you and to me, when God comes in Christ, wrath is not his objective. He is not coming to pound you, to kill you, to slave. He's not. What he's coming to do is to give you a space where you can admit what you've done and then you can go forward uh, and live. You can love yourself, you can love your neighbor, your community, and you can love God. Okay, that's what he's aiming at. I just encourage you as an exercise this week to read the rest of these. You can, you can read these. Um, yeah, I don't know if you ever realized how much Scripture is gathered up around particular things. Like if you go to husbands on page 38, you know, the, the church has been woeful and has been properly criticized for um, having uh, the balance of husband and wife out of whack, primarily because we don't understand authority and submission in a proper biblical way. But, you know, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife, treat them with respect as a, as a weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so nothing hinders your prayers. Look at that. If you're mean to your wife, physically, you screw up your prayers spiritually. Isn't that interesting? Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Right? Or look at parents. You know, what do we always think about as parents? I wish my kids would listen. Listen and obey. Look for parents. Parents, don't exasperate your kids. That's probably not the way you think about your kids, especially if they're over nine or three or whatever, right? When you first, the first thing, I'll just ask you, is the first thing you think about your kids when you engage your kids is, wow, I hope I don't exasperate them right now. <laughs> well, just try it. When you go outside and tell your kids to get in the car and they're like throwing snowballs and goofing around, their shoes are untied and they fall down and they run their tights, just think to yourself, yeah, what I really hope is I don't exasperate them as I sort of carry on here. And I don't think so. Um, you can read through the rest of these, but just as kind of a prep work, uh, because what you'll find is, is the things, so, so last thing, there's so much to do here, but the last thing is, um, I said to you a gazillion times since I've known you, um, we don't want to be more religious than Jesus. And it's kind of the same thing I'm saying when, when love is obedience. Love isn't feeling, love isn't emotion, love isn't getting your way, love isn't how you define it. Love is obedience to the Ten Commandments properly applied to each other. That's what love is. These things are utterly objective. So your relationship with me, my relationship with you, your relationship to your wife, your relationship to your husband, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with everybody else here on earth and also in heaven is properly defined in the scriptures. And you live 
in truth, when you live those relationships the way they're properly defined and not how you properly define them. So the bottom line of this, you really got to read your scriptures. You really got to go to Bible study. Um, read through the table of duties. And then next week, what I'd like to do with you is actually go through. I don't know, and I don't know how, how long, I mean, we could take years doing this. But when you go out, grab this thing called How a Christian Should Be Taught to Confess. I just ask you, you know, just through the week, maybe do one or two commandments each day. Some days you'll have to double up. But just do a commandment or two each day. And just really think about the questions that are asked here. And then think what other questions you might have. We can maybe trade those around. But I don't know that we think about this was the normal thing that Christians always did, and somehow we lost it. Uh, even the other Luther bit I gave you, you know, a whole page of questions you should ask yourself before you go to the Eucharist. And we just don't do that anymore. But, you know, maybe we'll get it back. So read the table of duties and then spend a little time with this, and then we'll come back to it next week. But the point is, it is utterly objective, and it's meant to be utter blessing. At the end of the day, what Christ is trying to do is create a space where you can be forgiven. And that's a space we need to create for each other as well. Okay? So um, that's what we want to work on. All right, thanks for coming out. Go to the Eucharist. And ashes on Wednesday. I mean, you can have ashes or not have ashes, but it's not bad to keep the discipline um, for the 40 days. Uh, so uh, Wednesday at 7. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, happy Lent. Stay hopeful.